Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. You guys good? Hey, it's such an honor to have you here. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here, and we love to gather together on the weekends. And if you're a guest with us, we just want you to know, man, we are so thrilled that you're here. Hope you're finding this place feels like home from the beginning. In case you missed it because of our technical difficulties there, that connection card, that blue connection card, either you received on the way in or in the seat backs in front of you, is our primary way of communication here at City Church. Any way we can serve you, any prayer requests, whatever's going on in your life, we would love to help you take some next steps. Use that connection card for that. If you're online with us, you can use that digital connection card for the same purposes. Hey, we're in a series called Starting Point, and I am loving it. We're in week two. If you missed week one, you should go back and check it out on our podcast, YouTube channel, or our website. It's super, super helpful. Excited for the conversation. But we, we, we've kicked it off that everything has a starting point, right? Like everything in your life has a starting point. Your job, your career, your relationships, even you have a starting point, right? Last week we said some of you were started on purpose, and some of you were accidents. <laughs> and we're still glad you made it, right? Everything has a starting point, including faith. Faith has a starting point. Now, last week, I'm just going to do a, a quick recap for you. Uh, we, were ta- we talked about this faith framework that you might have been handed as a child. So everyone here, listen, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, we realize like you could be anywhere. So no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. And our desire is to meet you where you are and help you take some next steps. So no matter where you find yourself, man, we hope that this is, this is a place where you feel safe, you can ask those hard questions, and that's part of what this series is about. And so some of you, as children, you were handed a faith framework. Maybe, you know, you grew up in and around religion, whether it was the Christian faith or different religious traditions, or, you know, you were just kind of handed a faith framework, just ideas about God or ideas about faith in general that just kind of built up your childhood faith. Or some of you, you didn't grow up with a faith framework, you didn't have anything that you grew up with, and so you just kind of were putting pieces together as you grew up. Maybe that happened more so when you're getting in the middle school, high school, college, in those areas. And, and what's happened, whether you were handed a, a faith framework as a child or you began to put one together as an adult, what you and I have probably experienced, and we, and we definitely know it's true from conversations outside of our faith circles, is that the, the struggles of adulthood, the, the pressures of adulthood, the, the harder converse, conversations, that they start to kind of chip away at a childhood faith, these easy, like, you know, bottom ground, like God is good and God answers prayers. And we have all these things that we hear growing up, but then sometimes there seems to be an inconsistency in the life that we're living on what we were taught as a child or what we were exposed to as a child and then the faith that we see in front of us. And so I don't know what your faith framework has been, what it is today, but, but part of it today is we want to just kind of walk walk you through, hey, give you permission. It's okay to ask hard questions. It's okay to have what ifs. And, and over time, I think this is true for many people that I sit down and have conversations with, is that our adulthood pressures be- begin to, to make, it, make, make us question, like, okay, why do I believe what I believe? And, and can I carry my childhood faith into adulthood? What if my, what if my childhood faith didn't grow up with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like what, what if there, there's still some unresolved issues that I'm wrestling with? And so last week, we, we, we proposed, like, what if you could just hit the restart button on faith? 
right? Like, like if you, you, you could just start over, regardless of what your faith framework has been, whether it was good or bad or negative, or, 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 or maybe it's just kind of been dissolving over time, what would it look like to hit the restart button on faith? And then, and then if that was an option, the bigger question was, then where would we start? If we hit the restart button, where would we start? And this is what we talked about last week. I'm just giving you a little bit of a recap. We said this, that the Bible says, if we're going to hit the restart button, the Bible says is not an adequate framework an adequate starting point, right, the Bible says, is not an adequate starting point or returning point for many adults. That, that, that's a challenge, is that, you know, we say, hey, let's restart your faith, and then we go into, okay, cool, the Bible says. For some of you, you're like, it's already a non-starter, because I know what the Bible says. Let me tell you what the Bible says, right? I've had many conversations like this. Okay, I hear what the Bible says, but what about all this other stuff, right? And there's this entire faith tradition where you're like, okay, you know, only read the new part. Don't, you just kind of like turn a blind eye. Don't read that Old Testament thing, okay? I know that gets confusing. Just ignore that altogether. And we're like, okay, wh- how do we resolve all of these big questions? If the starting point of faith is the Bible says, it, it begins to give us a challenge of this like house of cards faith that you start to have, you know, one area that you're removing, and all of a sudden everything comes tumbling down. So the Bible says, in our culture, is not an adequate starting point. But we said this last week. The Bible says was never intended to be a starting point for the Christian faith. And we made the very black and white argument that there were hundreds and thousands of Christians for hundreds of years before there was a Bible to ever say anything, okay? And so the Bible says was not the initial starting point for the early church, for early Christians. And so the, the, the good news, I suppose, for us is this is not a discredit for the Bible, by the way. This is not, I believe the Bible, I love the Bible, I believe it's God's word, but it's not the starting point for faith. And so then we said, okay, well, what is the starting point. And we said, it's a question. Last week, I, I encourage you to go pick it up. Last week, we said, it's a question. And the question is, who is Jesus? That's the question you and I have. Not, not what does the Bible say, but who is Jesus? And if you and I can wrestle that question to the ground, I think we're going to find that it's a way better starting point than the Bible says. Now, we're going to get into that more in this series, but today what I want to do is, is address um, what I think comes across as, as uh, a confusing and maybe uh, um, at times shaming or condemning or, or, or just a, a word that people struggle with. And listen, no matter your faith tradition or whether it's you know, the, the Christian faith specifically or even other faith traditions, you're going to run across the word that we're going to talk about today over and over again. And this is a challenging word because you and I don't use this word in normal conversation. So when it comes up, it, it puts some different pressures on us depending on how we grew up in and around it. So today specifically, I want to talk about a word that, that, that maybe has, has derailed faith, has pushed you away from faith, has made you just struggle with the concept of faith in general, and it's this big word, sin. You familiar with that word? Right? This is like, every time you hear this word, again, I don't, maybe you've never heard it, but, but odds are you've heard it somewhere, and anytime we use it, it's normally like in the theological sense, right? Like, like you don't use it in your normal everyday life, right? Your boss doesn't call you into his office and say, hey, we need to talk about some of your sin. <laughs> That'd be super weird. Right? That doesn't happen. You don't, you don't get pulled over by a cop and you're like, oh, we need to talk about your sin citation. Right? right so, so the word sin, one of our problems with it is it stays purely in the theological realm. And so then we don't talk about it. We don't use it. And, and, and so then when it comes up, it carries some different weights. And again, I don't know your background. I don't know, like, you know what you've been exposed to or not exposed to. I don't know what comes to mind when you, you hear this word. But it comes up a lot, regardless of your faith tradition, and then specifically with Jesus. And, and sin is this heavy word, right? Like all, automatically, just kind of feels heavy, right? And here's, here's why. Because the second that we t- start talking about sin, 
it has some like immediate ownership, right? It puts pressure on you because it's not like, I'm not talking about sin out there. It, it's heavy because it assumes that I have sin. <laughs> like like that, that, that I can't blame shift. If, if I have sin, if I sinned against you, there's no, there's no loopholes for me to kind of wiggle out of it and say, oh, it was an accident. I didn't really mean it, right? If, if I use that word, it, it actually might force me into a category of feeling, like, you know, shamed or, or condemned, right? There's a lot of feelings that go along with this. And um, as a result of that, our Western culture has replaced the word sin with a word that we're all very, very familiar with, and it's, and it's mistake, Right? We don't really like that word sin, so what we're going to do is we're going we're to just make some mistakes. And it's a terrible, terrible replacement word, and I'll tell you why in just a second. By the way, I understand. I understand why we would look for replacement, because unfortunately, and this might be your experience, uh, um, religion, uh, um, other maybe, maybe well-intentioned, maybe un- unwell-intentioned people use sin and, and these shameful, condemning languages and, and categories to actually like, kind of throw rocks at you. You guys familiar with that? Right, there's a whole bunch of people that just love to throw rocks at other people's sin. And so then we kind of gravitate away from the seriousness of that word and say, well, well, no one's perfect, right? How many of you, anybody made a mistake in the room ever? Come on, come on, yep, yep. It feels good, doesn't it? Everybody, yeah, yeah. Everybody's a mistaker in the room, right? Don't raise your hand for this, but right the second, like, hey, all right, all right, who, who's done some sins this week, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a couple of us are honest enough, right? Others are like, you know, uh, um, it, it's a challenge, right, to deal with this word. And, and here, here's what we struggle with is th- this word mistake. I, again, I understand why we go toward it. Because we're trying to acknowledge that we're not perfect without carrying the weight of, of what sin might mean, especially if we're kind of anti-religion or anti-Jesus or whatever. We, you know, it, it's a different category. But let me ask you, so let me just put some, like, scenarios in your mind. So when a politician gets on the news and confesses a mistake that they've been making for the last four years. <laughs> Doesn't quite fit, does it? <laughs> you've been there, you're like, I, I don't know that I call that a mistake. I'm not sure what I call it, but it might be a little more than a mistake. You guys with me? Right, sometimes mistake is not an adequate word to talk about some of the stuff that you, right, you make a mistake, mistake on a math test, right? Right, or like, all right, so, so I, went, I went hiking with a bunch of friends yesterday. We went, climbed Mount Albert, a 14er, and um, it was awesome and, and uh, had a great time, and, and I made a few mistakes along the way, okay? So it was a mistake, for example, when someone forgot to bring the gluten-free burritos for breakfast, that was a mistake, right? It wasn't a sin, wasn't an offense, right? We weren't throwing rocks, it was just a mistake, a bad mistake, <laughs> but a mistake, right? It was a mistake when Charlie and I were coming back off the mountain and we made a wrong turn and we ended up, you know, on a different trail and we were like, uh-oh, where are we in the middle of these woods? That was a mistake, right? Genuinely, it's just a mistake. It was a mistake when I piled six stinky, sweaty men into my forerunner with a dog after hiking a 14er and decided to drive back to camp. Biggest mistake of my life, possibly. <laughs> Guys, listen, the combination of man smell in my car yesterday was so brutal that it was almost worth walking back. Like, like we rolled down the windows thinking that was going to aerate, and I'm pretty sure as we were driving by, like, leaves were just wilting on the trees. It was, like, my my forerunner's never going to smell the same again. It was a a mistake. I mean, it was borderline sin. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it was right there. Right, there's a big difference between a mistake and a sin. Right, we've all made mistakes. And, and 
Here's what mistake assumes. Mistake, it implies insufficient knowledge, right? When you and I make a mistake, I took a wrong turn on a trail, it implies insufficient knowledge. But how many of you know that, that we, we like to use the word mistake when it wasn't necessarily insufficient in the relationship, right? That, that, isn't it interesting that you and I know what we're doing? We do something on purpose and then we still want to call it a mistake when we get caught. Isn't it interesting to you that you can do a mistake on purpose? Ah, (laughs) at what point does it stop being a mistake, right? Like, isn't it interesting that someone can confess to a four-year-long mistake? Like, like, is there such thing as a premeditated mistake? I mean, think about it, right? People buy airplane tickets to make mistakes, don't they? People have stashes of mistakes hiding in their closet. Right? We, we, we have premeditated, some of us right now, you've already planned your next mistake. And, and I, listen, this is not throwing rocks because I'm in the same boat with you. My question is, I just don't know that mistake gets there, does it? Like, does, does mistake actually adequately describe what's going on? Can there be such thing as a premeditated mistake? And, and here's what's interesting is that you and I, you know, when we start to make mistakes over and over again, what is that? What do you do with that? Can you really be sorry every time? Oh, sorry. You ever done that? You know, you, 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 I'll just be honest with you. Danielle and I, right, like every now and then I'm just I'm an idiot and uh, fail at my marriage. And so, you know, I'll come in and I'll, I'll say, I'm sorry. But you ever like, like try, try to brush it off and you don't even finish the whole sentence? You don't say, I'm you're just, sorry. Sorry. What do you, just kind of make it, uh, let's just move on, right? And Danielle, I think, is leaning in like, can we have a little more I'm in the sorry Right, because there's an issue here that we need to deal with, right? Because mistake just doesn't cut it when it comes to some of our actions, thoughts, and behaviors. Let, let, let me ask you a question. What do you do with a mistake? You correct a mistake, right? You, you correct a mistake. When you genuinely make a mistake, you correct a mistake. Oh, we went this way. Now we should go this way. But the problem that you and I struggle with is that it's hard to keep correcting over and over and over again and seeing no progress. And the big problem is that you and I can't correct ourselves, right? You can't correct you, can you? You got some stuff that you just are frustrated with inside of you? Because I do. You got that mistake over and over again that you, that you see. You see it damage the relationship. You see it damage your soul. You see it damage your finances. You see it damage your mental health and your emotional health. And then you do it again, and you're like, what is wrong with me? Is it just a mistake? There's this deeper problem that I think that you and I deal with. And we don't want to put our finger on it because it's a little scary. And maybe we've been shamed in the past, and we didn't find the help that we needed. But you know what's ironic about our, our mistakes is we, we try to correct ourselves, right? Your wife has tried to correct you. You try to correct your kids. Your, your friends try to correct you. Right? I mean, some of us pay, you know, counselors $120 an hour to help correct us, right? And you know what's funny? You know what's ironic? Is, is you ever, like, had a good streak in your correction? Right? We start self-correcting, don't we? We're like, oh, I'm going to stop that. I'm going to do this. And you hit, like, seven days. And you're feeling good, right? You ever been there? You're like, oh, I haven't done that thing in seven days. I haven't said those words. I haven't thought those thoughts. I haven't gone that place. I didn't drink those things. I didn't hang out with that person. And you're feeling good. I got a 14-day streak going on. And then, like, you know, isn't it weird? Like, while simultaneously you're trying to self-correct and, like, get away from that, there's still something inside of you that wants to go uncorrect. (laughs) Right? Like, around day 13, you're like, 
I've been doing pretty good. Like, I owe myself one, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Isn't it, isn't it interesting that in our self-correction, we still want to go back to the thing that we know is damaging to our relationships and to ourselves? Isn't it interesting that when we know it's bad for us and others, we still want to go back to it? What is that? Where does it come from? You see, I, I think mistaker might not do the job. Would you agree? So then what is it? Jesus would use the, the, the language of Hard, hard word to say. Sinner. Doesn't feel good. Let me give you a definition that maybe will, will help you just, just process this word with me. A sinner is someone who knows better and does it anyway. This is not a theological definition, by the way. This is just like something to help us kind of get it down on the bottom shelf. Someone who knows better and does it anyway. And here's the problem with sin. These things that are bigger than mistakes, right? It's not like you, you've done a sin, right? I mean, you, you can put it in a category like that, like, oh, there was a sin. But what happens when there's a bunch of sins? Maybe it's deeper than what happened with my hands or my mind or my mouth. Maybe it's not an activity. Maybe it's a condition. And we don't like that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm a pretty good person. I have not killed anybody, right? And we start to justify and self-correct and work really hard at our own morality. But Jesus, he talked a lot about sin. And, and, and I, I mean, I hope this is gonna be helpful for you today, okay? When Jesus talked about sin, he talked about sin-breaking relationships, okay? So, so when Jesus invites us, the very simple, what does it, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Literally, Jesus brings it all down to loving God and people. Love is the proper motive that keeps us from sinning. Check it out. Listen, when I love God, I don't sin against him. When I love you, I don't sin against you, right? They're, they're antithetical. They don't work together. I cannot say I love you and slander you. I cannot say I love Danielle and cheat on her. I cannot love and sin against you at the same time. It doesn't work. So Jesus says the answer to our sin problem is loving God and people. Jesus talked a lot about sin, and he talked about sin being this breaking of relationships. You ever had someone sin against you? Oh, see, now we like the word. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got some people that have sinned against me. That was more than a mistake, right? What's the difference? I need you to get this. Jesus' entire purpose in talking about sin, don't miss this, his entire purpose in talking about sin is about restoration not condemnation. You and I have just been so trained to hear certain words and phrases and, and, and we just get kind of in the self-defensive bubble of like shame and guilt. We don't want to feel those things so we're going to push hard against it. But Jesus doesn't talk about sin so you feel really bad about it. He talks about it so the relationship can be restored. Isn't that what you want when someone gets sins against you? To restore the relationship. You see, Jesus knew that if you and I only think that we're mistakers, like, if that's, that's the only category you fall into, then we're never going to seek the things needed to bring restoration. Why? Because, because mistakes don't require forgiveness, do they? But some of you, there's been th some things that have happened or some things that you've done that require forgiveness in order for that relationship to be back to where it needs to be. Right? When someone, someone says, sorry, Asher did it last night, kicked his brother in the face, 
bleeding, you know. I said, ah, sure. You hit your breath. Sorry. <laughs> it's not exactly what we're going for right here, buddy. Right? A little more remorse, a little more I'm, right? Sorry. Right? Just brush it off. And when you and I make a mistake, what we're trying to do is, like, right, and, and I'm guilty of this. Oh, it was a mistake. I'm just trying to push off blame. Let's move on. Didn't mean it. Let's just, you know, claim ignorance and move on. As long as we think that we're mistakers, you and I will never seek forgiveness because mistakes don't require forgiveness, right? We can brush it off. Oh, it's just bad judgment call. I didn't know any better. I didn't have all the right information, right? You don't have to forgive someone for making a mistake. But there's some things that happen that sorry isn't good enough, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? Now, you and I are really good at holding people to better standards than we hold ourselves to, which is also another conversation for another day. But let me give you a definition, okay, on restoration. Because if Jesus talked about sin in order to help us get to a place of restoration, let me give you a definition. Restoration is when the offender acknowledges and embraces the fact that there was an offense. Isn't that what you're looking for in restoration in a relationship? That's it. When the offender acknowledges and embraces the fact that there was indeed an offense. And so Jesus shows up on the scene, and he, he's not fitting into any religious category anyone has ever seen before. It's so new. It's so fresh. I mean, it is just, just so different than anything anyone's ever seen or heard. And he shows up on the scene, and here's his message to you and I. Your heavenly Father, God of the universe, your heavenly Father wants you to be restored to Him. The relationship is broken. And the only way to be restored in your relationship with your heavenly Father is to seek forgiveness. And here, here's what, here, here was His message. The only reason that you and I would ever seek forgiveness is that when we come to terms with the reality that we might be more than mistakers. And, and to that point, we're like, well, it's not exactly, you know, the feel-good place that I want to be. Here's what's amazing, is that Jesus didn't take that message and dumb it down. You know, some of us, like, you ever have you know, uh, a peroxide on your, your mom do that? Like, you know, like when you get an owie, and you fall down. When I was a kid, my mom would pour peroxide on it. You know what I mean? And then it would, like, burn like crazy, and you're like, ah! And then she'd blow on it. Right? Some of us want Jesus to do that, right? He pours a peroxide like you're a sinner and you're like, ah! and then he's like, it's okay. It's okay, baby. <laughs> right? And Jesus, you know, Jesus doesn't do that. He just dumps the whole bottle on you. Okay, check it out. Let me let me show you. Jesus doesn't dump it down. Like, because some of us, we really want Jesus to come to us and say, Oh, well, you were only 15. You didn't know any better. <laughs> right? Yeah. Jesus shows up and he says, You think you've done some bad things. I mean, okay, at least you're getting there. But I have news for you. You have no idea how bad you actually are. Everybody's like, man, I'm so glad I came to church today, right? This is, Jesus jacks the standard up so high. Listen, he jacks the standard up so high that everyone looks at it, and they're like, We're, well, why even try? We're all doomed. I mean, there's no, if that's the message, if that's the invitation, if none of us stands a chance, then why even try? And Jesus says, that's why I'm here. Because God loves doomed sinners, the second that we come to the end of ourselves, he says, that's why he sent me. But you're never going to know me until you acknowledge this thing about you. So let me show you. What do you mean, Jesus? Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 20. Check this out. I tell you, 
unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Scribes and Pharisees, I mean, those are like the best people of the day, right? I mean, they got, they got living good lives down to a T, most religious ever. Jesus says, unless you're better than those people, you will never into the kingdom. And listen, his crowd, they didn't really know, you know, there were mixed feelings about heaven and hell and different things like that, but, but the assumption is, okay, if there's a kingdom of God, I probably want to go there, <laughs> right? Like, at least that. Like, if there is one, I want to go there. And Jesus says, unless you're better than them, you're never getting in. And, and then he goes on, check this out, in verse uh, 21. He gives examples. He says, you've heard that, that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder check. Jesus, I'm good. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Cool. Well, watch what happens. Jesus jacks the standard up. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is even angry, anybody been angry? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone who's even angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. It's like you murdered them in your heart. You're still guilty. Seriously? Do you know what they did? It's a good thing I didn't kill them, (laughs) right? Yeah, do you know what they did, Jesus? And he starts to jack up the standard. You're like, okay, okay, okay. Help me understand, Jesus. Verse 27, check this out. He goes on, same conversation. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, I have not done that, Jesus. I'm clean, we're good, right? Okay, I might have been angry, but you know what? But I have not cheated on my wife. And then Jesus goes on, he says, but I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Come on, seriously, Jesus? Okay, okay, okay. It's my wife in the room, right? Jesus, you, are you serious? He starts to jack this incredible standard, right? Like, this is, this is impossible. And then Jesus shows up and he says, that's why I'm here. Mistakers are always going to try to self-correct, but sinners recognize their need for forgiveness. There's this story in the life of Jesus. By the way, man, pick up the Bible. Like, just pick up the early stories of Jesus, and you'd be blown away by the crazy stuff, amazing stuff. There's this lady caught in the act of adultery. A bunch of scribes and Pharisees, higher, holier-than-thou people, they throw her in the street naked in the middle of the act. They've all got big rocks. They're ready to stone her to death. And they bring her before Jesus, trying to, trying to trap him into their religious system. And he says some things that makes them all drop their rocks and walk away because they realize they're a little better, bigger than mistakers themselves. But then Jesus looks at the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and he says two things. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's grace and truth. That sin is indeed damaging to your relationships, to your relationship with God and others. But I don't condemn you. You see, you and I, the second, what we can learn from that, you you and I, the second that we acknowledge our need to be restored, boom. Jesus meets us in that space. He makes us new. The relationship is restored. But when you and I play this middle game, oh, it wasn't so bad. Oh, you know, I didn't really mean it. Oh, I was wrong place, wrong time, right? When you and I start dancing around and making the excuses of a mistaker, we're never going to know restoration. 
because we don't feel the need to be restored. So I'm going to end with this. Daniel, why don't you come up? Jesus' most famous teaching is the story of the prodigal son. You might be familiar with it. He's talking to two groups of people. One group is kind of like that group of like eat, drink, and be merry because when you die, you're just going to go to hell and you know, it doesn't really matter. Like, just live your life, party it up. Hey, at least you're going to have some friends there when you go. You know what I mean? There's, uh, that group of people that are like, hey, there's no hope. There's, just, don't, just do whatever you want. And there's another group of super religious Pharisees who are so good in their own mind that they've dumbed sin down. And, and, and you know, they look at their lives and like, man, we're pretty dang good. We might be mistakers every now and then, but we are good people. And Jesus looks at both of these paradigms and he tells a story to help them understand God's heart. And I'm going to give it to you. It's, it's the story of the prodigal son. There's this son who comes to his dad who's wealthy and says, Dad, I want my inheritance, but I can't get my inheritance until you die. And since you won't hurry up and die, even though I wish you were dead, let's just pretend like you're dead, Dad. Can I just have my inheritance now? So his dad gives him his inheritance. And this son, he goes out and he just spends his life on anything and everything that feels good, looks good, tastes good. And after the course of just burning himself out in every category of comfort and pleasure, he looks up and he finds himself in a really, really messed up place. He comes to his senses, if you will, and he realizes that he has made some big mistakes. But he goes past that. And as Jesus is telling this story, everyone in the crowd is nodding their head. Because everyone knows that, that the Father, Jesus just made up this story to make a point. Everyone knows the Father in the story is God. And everyone knows that the Son in this story represents someone who is so bad that he could never be forgiven and restored. Everyone is totally following. Yep, can't believe he did it. How terrible. And watch what happens in Luke 15. The Son comes back to the Father. And he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He has this moment, right? He doesn't beat around the bush. Ah, you know, Dad, I was in, you know, some bad spots and was hanging out with the wrong people and, you know, wrong place, wrong time, and it turns out I'm not very good at managing money. He comes back and he owns it. Wow. These three words, man. I have sinned. Some of you, you've never said those three words. You never come to a place in your life where you're like, man, there, there might be something in me deeper than a mistake. And he comes and he shows up and he's begging for his dad's forgiveness. And watch the, the heart of the father. This is what's amazing. The father says, but, Jesus tells us in the story, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Isn't it amazing that he doesn't even acknowledge the son's statement? Yeah, what you did is pretty bad, son. Yeah, let's get a little re more remorse out of you before we make this thing right. How bad was it? He doesn't even, right, he doesn't even respond to the son. He turns to his servants and says, let's party. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Right? The son doesn't show up and said, you know, oh, well, this and that. He doesn't make excuses. He just owns it. He shows up and says, God, I recognize, or, or, or Dad, I, I recognize that our relationship is broken because of my sin. This is pretty apparent, right? It's not a question of whether or not the relationship was broken. 
But the father knows in this moment that the son recognizes what he needs to recognize, the need for the relationship to be restored. That was it. So in this moment, as the son owns it, the father just responds to celebrate the restoration. And you, you got to imagine, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, don't you want to hear about what happened with the prostitute? No, no, Don't you want to hear about where I spent the night? No, no, no. But don't you want to know about? No. My son's back. Check out what happens here. Verse 23. Oh, the rest of 22. He says, because this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He wasn't dead. He's dead to me. Our relationship was broken. And now he's alive. He wasn't lost. We knew where he was. He was lost to me. But now he's found, right? Sin severed the relationship. And now there's restoration. So when you think about Jesus, listen, I don't, I don't know what your spiritual journey has been up to this point. But I hope that you hear the heart of Jesus is not about condemning you. It's about restoring you. And so when you consider the Christian faith, when you consider the restart button, maybe religion has taught you that the worse that you feel, the closer you can be to God. And that's not the invitation of Jesus. I need you to get this. Recognition of sin actually paves the way for restoration, not condemnation. He's not met with guilt and shame and a big stick. He's met with love and forgiveness and a party. You see, as soon as, as, soon as you and I get to the place where we own that there's something going on deeper than our mistakes, Jesus looks at you and me and he says, I'm going to give you something a mistake or never asked for. I'm going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to give you restoration with your heavenly Father who loves you. Some of you are sitting in the room and you're like, all right, Drake, good talk. Thanks so much. I'm not really sure where I, you know, I'm probably still more of a mistaker. I'm working on it. I'm doing pretty good, actually. And listen, I, I, I get it. I just need you to know that when it comes to answering the question, who is Jesus? Jesus says that you and I are sinners who need to be forgiven. We're not mistakers who need correction. Religion is about behavior modification. Jesus is about internal transformation and restoration. You see, here's what I know about you, regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey. You didn't need this message this morning to know that your problems are deeper than just mistakes. You already knew that. Right? You, you, you didn't need this message this morning to know that the only way to restore a relationship is by acknowledging that it needs to be restored. You already knew that. Because you, pl you play that game in all of your relationships. But maybe there's this thing inside of you right now as you're sitting here listening to this conversation. There's this longing to get it right. There's this thing that's just not sitting. You're like, oh, this tension of mistakes and sinners. There's deep, something deeper here. There's this thing going on inside of you. And I just want you to know that that thing is the Holy Spirit of God trying to settle this truth deep onto your heart, mind, and soul. That you and I are separated from God on our own. And God wants to throw a party. God wants to celebrate. God wants to restore the relationship. 
but there cannot be celebration until you come back. And friends, listen, (laughs) you and I can't come back as mistakers. We have to come back as sinners. But again, remember the response. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And Jesus gives us the life and the power and the relationship to live the life that he created us to live. And through this invitation, we get something from Jesus we can't get anywhere else on the planet. So let me give you just a few action and reflection things as we close. A couple of questions on the screen. Have you ever said those three words? I have sinned. I'll be honest with you. I've been a good mistaker my entire life. At 15 years old, I knew there was something deeper than mistakes because I couldn't stop mistaking. And I found out that Jesus came to forgive those things, to restore the relationship that God loved me, wanted a relationship with me. And the best I knew how, never knowing what it meant to follow Jesus up until that point at 15 years old, I prayed and said, that's me. I've sinned. God, I need you to forgive me. I want a relationship with you. And in that moment, heaven threw a party. Some of you have made that same decision, and heaven threw a party. And some of you are on the verge of that decision, and I want you to know, heaven is on the edge of its seat, waiting to celebrate the son or the daughter coming home. You see, when Jesus invites us to repent and believe, that word repent, it literally means to change the way that we think. It means that I'm gonna agree with God about my condition and my need for reconciliation. Repentance is not something you try really hard to do. It's the changing of your mind and heart, agreeing with God. There is a problem. Jesus came to fix it. In that moment, you can be restored. Second question. Is there something that you need to own? See, because some of us, man, we're followers of Jesus, and maybe the reason that you and I stay stuck in our, you know, this, this mistaker mentality, these patterns of behaviors, is because we keep treating our actions, our attitudes, our thoughts, our words, we, cre- we keep treating them as mistakes when maybe there's something deeper. That even though Jesus can forgive us and make us right with God, that our relationships are hindered still by our activity, maybe there's something today that Jesus wants you to surrender to him. I want you to know you're going to find forgiveness and grace and restoration. Maybe there's a relationship, someone you need to go to and say, I'm sorry. I'm the one who has the offense. Let's make it right. And the last thing, if the goal for Jesus is restoration, how's the relationship going? Some people get in this place of, cool, let's ask Jesus for forgiveness, you know, take care of that, and then kind of go on about our lives. Right? But the invitation is, is to restoration in the relationship, that you and I walk with Jesus daily, intimately, that we have time with him, we hear him, we listen, we obey, that Jesus is working in and through us in our rhythms every day where we live, work, and play. And some of you, you're followers of Jesus, but your time with God is so disconnected from the rest of your rhythms. 
It's not meant to be a burden. It's not meant to be a shame. It's an invitation into relationship. So don't forget what Jesus forgave you for. Not just to get rid of your guilt and shame so you don't feel bad about yourself, but to bring you into relationship with the most life-giving God that you could ever know or, or, or imagine. So I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. I don't know what your next steps might be, but I'm gonna encourage you just to process this in this moment. So will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? This is just a moment of privacy for you to reflect on what's going on inside of you. Maybe here today, and for the first time, you, you just need to pray that prayer. Utter those words, I have sinned. Ask God for forgiveness and be made right with God and restored in that relationship today. Maybe there's something God put on your heart to make right to surrender, to confess. Maybe there's a, a Christian brother or sister that you need to go to and say, hey, I need help in this area. I need to shed some light on this area. I need some accountability in this area because it's damaging my relationship with God and others. And some of you, maybe there's this just deep invitation to be with God, not to do things for him, but to be with him daily and intimately. Maybe that's been a struggle for you. And maybe this week, your commitment is 15 minutes every day. I'm gonna open up the book of John. I'm gonna sit with Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus. And I'm gonna let that relationship cultivate and overflow into every other area of my life. Would you take a moment right now in your own heart and mind and respond appropriately? Jesus, we give you this morning. We acknowledge that we're more than mistakers. It's a deeper problem that frustrates us, that hurts others, and that breaks our relationship with you. But man, how amazing is it, Jesus, that you came to live the life we couldn't live. You came to die the death that we deserve. You rose again, proving that you were who you said you were, that you could do what you said you would do, and that you can change our lives. We can go from lost to found. We can go from dead to alive. We can go from separated to restored. We can, we can go fr from dead spiritually to alive spiritually because of what you did for us, Jesus. And so right now, no matter where we are, will we take a next step towards you and be motivated by your love for us and let sin take a back seat. Let shame take a back seat. Let condemnation take a back seat. Do what you want to do this morning, Jesus.